Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Juliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we're talking to another of our international guests. It's Ken Wentworth and Ken is joining us to talk about being an achiever. Just as a bit of background, I'll flick through to another screen that tells me that Ken has a very unique background. He's got 20 plus years experience of the corporate ladder at Fortune 15 companies including JP Morgan Chase and when he left that field, he was in the top 3% of employees. From there, he started a business and then a second, and so he's done some battling in the business world. Aside from all of that, Ken has been a competitive athlete in the powerlifting world for about 20 years, and he's been fortunate enough to set some world records and win many world and national championships during his competitive career. So once again, we're talking to someone who has used lessons learned in the corporate life, in his sporting life and vice versa. And I know that many of you listen with interest to those people who have managed to identify things that work for them in more than one arena. So welcome, Ken. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. It's an interesting podcast and I'm happy to be part of it. Thank you. What we had down as, a, as the first thing to talk to you about was the idea of the most important lesson that you learned when you were climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's a tough one, actually, a little bit. There's two things I guess I would mention. I, I, I'll do 1A and 1B. How about yeah, that? Yeah, um, sure. The first thing, and actually I, I learned this unknowingly somewhat, when I was while I was in college in my undergrad, I had an internship with a, a, a really smart guy. Um, had a lot of respect for him and asked him some of his, his advice. And his advice at the time was take every single communication class you can mm. because it will help your career. And so as electives, I was taking all these, you know, speech classes and written classes and things like that. In the meantime, all my friends were taking bowling and billiards and things as such <laughs> and getting getting easy A's and padding their GPA. And here I am, you know, struggling up late in the middle of the night writing speeches and things like that. However, fast forward, that's some of the best advice I think career wise I ever got because I ran into some folks, you know, that were really smart people, mm-hmm. but they just weren't able to effectively communicate their knowledge base or their expertise. And that really held back their career. Yeah. And so that was a really, really important thing. Um, that I learned personally in my career that I think helped set me aside. When you're in a competitive, you know, your Fortune 15 company, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of really smart people there. And so just being smart, being intelligent, working hard is not enough to set you apart because it's so darn competitive. So, you know, those communication skills I found were really, really important. And the second one I'll mention, I guess, 1B I would mention is, and I, I, I can't remember who, can't recall who had this quote, but you can't beat someone who, who never quits. And I, I think that that's really, really important. If you're continually, you know, you're, you're committed to whatever it is you're, that you have as a goal, and you just never quit. You're relentless. You are not going to stop. You are not going to rest until you reach that goal. And I think a lot of people talk that talk, but too small of a percentage of people actually walk that walk on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think those two things uh, were very, very important as I was climbing the corporate ladder. That's excellent. Actually, you covered two of our favorite topics already. One of them, you identified the person that you met early in your career that I would refer to maybe as a mentor for you. 
you recognize that yourself early in, in the piece and took advantage of it and communication. That's excellent. So would you advise people to listen more to when they're starting their career to people around them that they've been there before them? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny. I just uh, I recently did an interview on a different uh, on a different radio show, and it, I, I, I honestly had never realized this before because we started to get into this exact topic of having mentors and mentorship. And I had mentored people myself throughout my career, especially after I had some experience and felt like I could really add value and help folks. But um, I didn't realize that. I hadn't really considered ever having a mentor until I was ready to leave the corporate world. And that's when I kind of reached out and got a mentor. But I was really wrong because as I look back throughout my career in my, you know, personal, professional sporting career, every time I came up with, uh, had it faced a new challenge, I always found the mentor. I guess I never really Mm -hmm. thought of it as a mentor, but I would find someone in the field that I was trying to get better at or, you know, enhance my skill set, expertise, et cetera, I would find someone who's been there, done that and pick their brain and learn from them. I mean, there's no, you don't have to recreate the wheel. You might as well take advantage of the fact that there's people there that have forged a path already. And it's a path that you may be able to follow. You might be able to avoid some of those proverbial bumps in the road along the way. Sometimes they can steer you around those. And this is a perfect example of that. I would have taken those same bowling and billiards classes to get A's and make my GPA better instead of taking the more challenging communication classes and things like that. But looking back, like I said, I was, it was absolutely spot on advice. And yeah, that's exactly what I I mean. I do it today. You know, I, I, even in my businesses that I have now, as I'm continuing to, to, to grow and reach new and reach out in new different areas, I find people who are experts in those areas and I reach out to them. And here's the thing, you know, one of my favorite quotes of all time um, is a Steve Jobs quote. He said, if you, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah, and it's yeah. so true. Yeah. I mean, I've never, so when I started my radio show, I have a radio show as well. And when I started it, I thought, oh my gosh, I got to get really good at this. So this is a a perfect anecdote to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to four national radio show hosts here in the United States. And I thought, what's, what's the worst they're going to tell me? They're going to say, I don't know who you are. I'm a celebrity. I don't need to talk to you, you know, and they'll tell me no. Well, guess Mm -hmm. what? All of them responded. I ended up on the phone with two of them. Um, I emailed back and forth with one of them. I got great advice from people who have been, who are, you know, super successful in the radio business, have nationally syndicated radio shows just because I reached out and asked. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it, it helped me avoid, I think, and hopefully get much better as a radio show host <laughs> uh, much quicker as opposed to trying to just learn it on the fly through the school of hard knocks. It's good. In all of that, we have a question that we, we often ask our guests about the difference between a mentor and a coach. Now, because you've had that that sporting side of things as well. Do you see very much difference between the two roles? Honestly, I don't really delineate much of a difference between the two. No, I think, I guess if I had to really, if someone really pressed me on the issue, I would say probably a coach is a little more hands-on. I would, Mm -hmm. I would envision them to be a little more hands-on, but even as I got into the powerlifting world, I did that exact same thing. I found someone who was really successful Mm-hmm. And I started training with them and learned learned their ways. And then as I continued on, I found other folks. I found someone who was based in California. I'm in Ohio. It's a it's about a four and a half five hour flight 
um, on the other side of the United States, mm-hmm. I found someone and reached out to them and said, Hey, I would love, could I come out and fly out on a Wednesday and train with you for four or five days and leave on a Sunday? Yeah. And I just want to pick your brain. I want to train with you. I want to see your mindset. I want to see how you do things, why you do things, all that. Mm-hmm. And I went out and did that and learned a ton in that, that five-day period or whatever it was just because of that. You know, again, the coaching, the mentorship. But I don't really delineate uh, much of a difference between the two. I think they're, in my eyes, somewhat synonymous. Just along that, those same lines, you, you're quite confident about asking for the, the things that you want to learn, that you want to know about. When you do get a no, how do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, we, uh, I talk to our kids about this uh, all the time. We've got three daughters, uh-huh. and um, I always tell them that, you know, no matter how successful in life you are, you know, the Warren Buffetts of the world, the, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates, all of those people have faced rejection mm. like a, a whole ton of times, right? Yeah. You see all the success and where they're at now. But along the way, they faced rejection and they've, they've faced plenty of no's themselves. You hear all these stories about a lot of successful people that, you know, if it's a if it's a musical act and they had to go, they got turned down by, you know, 57 different record labels before one of them finally said mm-hmm. yes. And now they turned into the Beatles or, you know, yeah. some super popular group. And so I think it goes back to one of those things I mentioned earlier is that no is not no to me. No is just a that's a, that's a temporary bump in the road. I clear that bump, I go around it, I go over it, I go through it, um, and I continue to forge on. I look for, in, this, in that case, if I reached out to someone and they said, no, I don't want to help you, I would find someone else. I might, I might go back a second time, but depending how hard of a pass they made at me, <laughs> but, uh, but I would find someone else. Or I would try to turn it into a positive and say, okay, well, I appreciate that. Is there someone else you could recommend in your yeah. in this space that could help me? Yeah. I'm always looking for you know again that that other, uh, additional source of help. So I guess I don't, it's too harsh to say I don't take no for an answer because unfortunately sometimes you do have to take no. Yeah. But no to me is a I have to find a different way to do it. <laughs> I think for me, no to me is not about me; it's about them. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. We'll move on to the the next area that we wanted to talk to you about, and that was about changing. So changing roles, changing jobs, to just knowing when it's time to change, rather than have change thrust upon you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for me, one instance of change, I guess probably one of the biggest instances of change in my in my life is moving from you know the corporate world and having a, a, a successful career in the corporate world to you know, jumping out as an entrepreneur to start my own mm-hmm. business. And I reached that point. It was, it hadn't been mounting. I had always been entrepreneurial in spirit. Right. However, as I got further and further into my corporate career and was really, you know, I was doing well, I really enjoyed it. I loved where I was working, et cetera. It sort of became way distant on the back burner for me. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, there was a chain of events that occurred and I guess the culmination of those events where I had come up with two different revenue producing ideas and both of them had been shelved, basically been told no. Yes. Even though they, well, I was told they were great ideas, they were shelved because of bureaucracy, red tape, frankly, some ego, some, mm-hmm. some politics were involved. And, and I, of course, being in a, a large company, I had faced that many, many times before and always found a way to sort of maneuver around it or through it, as I mentioned. But for whatever reason, this particular time, it just struck me that I could be helping more people right. and I could be leaving a bigger impact 
in the world. Mm. And I feel like at this company, I'm not going to be able to do that because this is a pure example of I've got some good things that we can do here. And I feel like I'm trying to fly and my wings were clipped. And I'm a very decisive person. So I was in New York City, which is where my boss was, and had 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 that meeting. The meeting ended at one o'clock. I left his office. I was in the elevator going down to, to my next meeting. And that's when that feeling first came over me of, you know, I could be making a bigger impact. I could be using the expertise that I've built up over all these years to help more people. But how the heck am I going to do that? I had no idea. So that kind of went through my head. I went on, had additional meetings throughout the day. Later that evening, I'm at the airport in New York City, and I'm on the phone with my wife. And I told her that uh, at that meeting, as a matter of fact, was ironically enough, my boss had told me that I was going to be promoted to be in the top 1% of people in the company, Mm -hmm. which was a tremendous, Mm -hmm. tremendous honor. And so I'm talking to my wife and I tell her, hey, Mark's going to put me up for managing director, et cetera. And she said, oh, my gosh, you know, all your hard work. This is great. And I said, and by the way, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and my wife said, oh, you have to go. Your plane is taking off. And I said, no, no, I'm going to resign. And she said, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resign. I've, I've, I've determined that I'm going to resign. And she said, did you get to the airport early? Have you been having drinks? <laughs> and I said, no. And she said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you take a nap on your plane ride home? And then we'll talk about it when you get home. But once I got home and explained to her what I was thinking and why I was feeling that way, she fully supported me. And, you know, I started trying to think about what would that next, you know, that next thing look like for me? Because, again, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, that was an interesting point that, you know, again, for some reason, those chain of events that culminated with those just feeling like I could do more. I could be doing more to help people and I'm not going to be able to do it here. Yeah. So you had an idea and you had some vision. Did you then walk into it with a more developed vision or did you fly by the seat of your pants, as we say? <laughs> well, no. So the, so again, it's, and, and I, it's ties right back into what we talked about a little bit earlier. I found a mentor officially <laughs> found a mentor because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up because I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I just knew that there was a way I could utilize my expertise and my skill set to help more people. I knew there was. I knew there was there was something, you know, calling me out there. Yeah. I just didn't know in what form it would be. So I didn't even know because I was so wrapped up throughout my entire career in the corporate world, I didn't even know that what I do now was a thing, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so I found a mentor. We sat down and had a um, it sounds really obvious now, but it was a tremendously powerful meeting and where he has a large, really large conference room in, in his building. And we went in and it's, it's, he's got one of this conference room that's very large. It has a whiteboard mm. from an, an entire wall. It's probably 15 feet wide. And he went all the way to the left side of the whiteboard. And he said, okay, we're, we're going to figure out what you're going to do. And I said, okay, that sounds great. He said, what was the first job you had? And I said, well, when I got out of college, he said, no, no, no. The first nice job. job you had yeah. when you were a little kid, Maybe, were you mowing lawns? What, anything like that? What was the first job you had? So we literally started back from when I was a paper delivery boy when I was 12 years old. And he said, tell me three things you loved about that job and three things you hated about it. And we went from the left side of that whiteboard all the way over to the right side with every single different position I'd ever had in my entire career and went through three things you liked, three things you didn't like. And then when we were done, we went back and looked at what are the commonalities? Yeah. 
yeah. amongst all these positions. And again, it sounds very obvious now. And I, as I sort of outline, I think to myself, gosh, why didn't I think of that myself? But nonetheless. Uh, I don't think you I can mean, do it for yourself, though. I yeah. think you've got to have someone who triggers those thoughts because you're so busy classifying the information if you're doing it yourself that you can't be honest about thinking about that, those things in, in your history. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. And so he said, we have to done, done. And he said, okay, well, we need to, we need you to get in a position where you can do th- a job that has these three things and does not have these three things. And I said, well, that's great. What the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds all great. That's great, Sam. I'm glad we went through this exercise, but I don't even know what, what job is that? And he said, well, you need to be a CFO for, you know, six or eight, 10 businesses. And I said, well, how the heck do you do that? Being a CFO for one business is a, mm-hmm. you know, 60, 60 hour a week job. So how the heck do you do that? He said, no, no, you do it on a fractional basis. You do it on a part-time basis. So, you know, you have these small business owners that are really good at whatever it is their expertise. They're really good at making widgets. They're really good at, you know, whatever it is, their field service, they're a very good plumber and electrician, et cetera. But maybe they're not as strong on the business side of things. They know mm-hmm. how to be a plumber. They know how to make yeah. those widgets. They just don't understand the business side as well. And you can help them with that because you do understand that side. And I did, again, I'd never even heard of that. Did some research and, and figured it out, got my first client, and literally it was a huge light bulb moment, an aha moment, as they say. Yeah. About two weeks in, my first client, and I, I was just driving home from the client that day to back home, and I, it just hit me. I'm like, this is 100% with certainty what I am supposed to be doing. Yeah. Mm. Now that we've got to that point in Ken's career, we might take a break in our discussion with him. So join us again for part two. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey-Shoes for Liana Osborne. We are talking to Ken Wentworth, and this is Inside Exec. Mm-hmm. 